Welcome to Media in Minutes. This is your host, Angela Toole. This podcast features in-depth interviews with those who report on the world around us. They share everything from their favorite stories to what happened behind the lens and give us a glimpse into their world. From our studio here at Communications Redefined, this is Media in Minutes. Today, we are talking with culture journalist and food writer, Megan Zhang. Megan is the senior culture editor at Saver, where she regularly reports long form features, writes a weekly newsletter called With Relish, and a breakfast themed travel column called Rise and Dine. Over her career, she has also written for BBC, CNN, Cutting Us Traveler, and many others. She has developed recipes for Today, Food 52, and Kitchen, and was the on air presenter of a TV docuseries about traveling across China. Hi, Megan. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Hi, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yes, excited. I, I noticed that we have something in common. You started your career as a TV journalist as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Um, good old, good old local TV news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How was that for you? <laughs> it was great. I mean, it was my first job out of college. I think I was just really grateful to have a an on-air job right out yeah. of college. And I was a video journalist. So as I'm sure you know, we were essentially all like a one-person band. So yes. we'd go out with our own tripod and uh, do our own interviews, shoot our own B-roll, and even do our own live shots sometimes. But it really just kind of threw me into the industry and taught me so much about all the different aspects of video production from the behind the scenes side to like the on camera side. And yeah, I'm I'm just yeah. so grateful that I had that opportunity. Yes. I was, I don't know if it's lucky or not, but I didn't have to do the one man band thing. And <laughs> if it's, I'm a little bit older, we didn't quite have that yet. Um, <laughs> but I think you did learn more doing that, you know, so that's, that's awesome. And at yeah. one point you even relocated to Beijing and was, and was the host of travel log an, an English language travel docuseries, introducing Chinese culture, cuisine, and history to a global audience. How did that come about? Well, my family, uh, my parents are originally from China and okay. throughout my life, I've visited with them a number of times and most of our family is actually still in China, but I'd never actually lived in China for an extended period of time. And yeah. so when I found out about this role, I decided to apply and um, it, it turned out to be just such an incredible experience. I, I think I got to learn about my heritage and be immersed in it with this level of immediacy that I don't think I've ever had um, yeah. throughout my life. So it was, it was incredible opportunity. And it was a couple of years long, right? Yes. Um, I was based there for about a year and a half. Um, not quite because then, uh, the pandemic happened and, oh. um, we were all grounded, of course. Yes. You were able to get out of there before you knew that what was, what, how, how big it really was. Yeah. It, it ended up being, um, it was a total coincidence. I happened to return to California to spend the Lunar New Year holiday, which is a mm, two-week-long mm -hmm. break in China, uh, to visit my parents and ended up just, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty. And so I decided I would just stay a, a little bit longer. 
and um, never ended up returning to China since then, which is definitely sad. I, I, uh, I miss a lot about the country, but I think it also kind of set me on a different life path in a way. Yeah. Yes. What were you surprised to learn during, you know, being Chinese, I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with a lot of the culture, but what were you surprised to learn during your travels and work there? Oh, so many things. Um, I think the biggest takeaway is just, I was so mind blown by how diverse Chinese culture is. Mm -hmm. It's often described as sort of a monolith. And I think there was definitely part of me that inherently saw it that way too, just because I grew up in America and so far away from China, but it's such an enormous country and geographically and also climatically, it's just really wide ranging. And so that's resulted in a lot of different ingredients and culinary styles from region to region. So for example, when I was traveling in Northern China, there were a lot more dairy products and lamb products than you'd find in most places in the country. And that's part partly due to the traditional Mongolian culture that's influenced that part of the country. Whereas if you go to like central China, where Sichuan province and Hunan province are, as you are probably familiar, there's a lot of spicy food that comes out of that region. And that actually relates to the humidity of the weather, because it's believed that when you eat spicier food and you sweat, that helps to kind of combat the humidity. So it it was just really interesting to, to learn about just how diverse the the country and the, the food is. Yes. What's the most interesting thing you ate? The one that always sticks out to me is uh, this dish called hairy tofu, which I know doesn't (laughs) sound the most appetizing, but it's uh, actually a delicacy, especially in Anhui province, which is in Eastern China. So the tofu goes through this fermentation process, which causes this sort of fuzz to grow on them. And it's a really painstaking process to make. It involves a lot of different steps, um, soaking and pressing and filtering the tofu. And what results is this really, really complex flavor. Um, it's a little pungent, a little earthy, okay. kind of cheesy. Um, it reminds me a, a little bit of blue cheese actually. And I, I think it tastes mm. really great with just a, a plain bowl of rice and and some clean vegetables on the side, but it's just, it's a really memorable dish. I haven't had it since I went to Anhui province that one time. I was going to say, are you able to find it in the U S at all? I haven't really tried, but I, I imagine you probably could in maybe, um, an Anhui restaurant or an uh, Eastern Chinese style restaurant. Um, but I haven't seen it on any menus yet. So if, if anybody listening knows where to find it, I I would be curious to know. Yes. We'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) So what drew you away from TV? Because that role was TV as well and into print writing. The pandemic definitely kind of kicked things off. Um, I was quarantining with my parents back home in California. And with all the uncertainty of what was happening in China at the time, I was just, you know, just thought I would stay on in California for a a little bit longer. Um, And at that time, working on the travel show in China had sort of already been opening my eyes to food as so much more than just sustenance, but something that really tells the story of a place and of the people who live in that place. So in many ways, I feel like for me, the pandemic ended up bringing about the space and time to, I guess, think about that more deeply. Mm -hmm. Another contributing factor was definitely the fact that I was 
living at home with my parents for the first time in my adult life. And we were eating all three meals together every day. We were cooking more than we ever had together. And a lot of the cooking we were doing was traditional Chinese dishes that we maybe had never attempted at home before. And we'd yeah. talk about our experiences eating those dishes in China. And I, so I think all of those things sort of just created the conditions for me to start writing and reporting on food in a more intentional way, I guess. Yeah. Isn't it amazing yeah. what good has came from <laughs> some of the things we had to go through as well? I mean, that experience you would have never had with your parents too and the and the cooking there with them, you know? Yeah. I think it really, it just like shook up our daily existence, right? It just shook up the the reality of what we've become accustomed to. And um, yeah, it's yeah. it really put me on a different life path, I think, in a way. Yes. In the path, you are currently the senior culture editor for Saver. Please tell us more about that role. Yeah. I do a lot of writing for the culture vertical, which is mostly um, long form features, exploring the different ways in which food intersects with other aspects of society, like environment and identity and history. And we also do commission um, some lovely freelance writers on occasion to contribute stories as well. I know you launched a travel column for them called Rise and Dine that hops around the globe exploring the history and culture surrounding breakfast traditions. What have been some of your adventures with this? I think breakfast is often the best meal of the day, even though <laughs> I, I don't always <laughs> prioritize it as much as I wish I did. Yeah. But I feel like when you start your day on a on a nourished note, you're kind of setting yourself up for success, right? At, at least that's how I try to think about it. Right. And um through my travels, I just became fascinated by how much you can learn about a culture based on what breakfasts are popular because the range of possibilities for breakfast tends to be a little smaller than a meal like lunch or dinner because breakfast is right. often about convenience, right? And, and quickness. And that can look different depending on where you are in the world. So somewhere like Singapore or Malaysia, convenience might be um, Kaya Toast, which I wrote about for the column. It's this really fragrant and super decadent coconut spread that basically mm. gets smeared on toasted bread. In Senegal, which I had the chance to travel to recently, there's a really popular street food breakfast called Ndambe, which is a black-eyed pea stew. And huh. it originated as this like humble dinner dish until street vendors started offering it on baguettes as a grab and go portable breakfast. And baguettes, of course, reflect Senegal's history as a French colony. And so anywhere I travel now, I'm just always looking to experience as much of the breakfast culture as I can, because there's so, there's so many cool dishes to try. Yes. I love that. And that's not the only newsletter you do for um, Saver, right? Yeah. So that's the column I write that appears on the site, but I also write a newsletter called With Relish, which goes out every Monday. And that kind of sums up our latest stories from the culture vertical, our latest and greatest feature stories, and just kind of keeps our readers abreast of uh, what we're most proud of and, and the new stories that we're putting out. We'll make sure to yeah. include a link so our listeners can, can uh, sign up <laughs> to make sure they're receiving that. I, I love how Saver isn't just about food. It really combines food with culture, as you had mentioned, and the stories of culinary traditions. What do you like most about the publication? I really agree with that. Um, I love that Saver contextualizes food. Our writers around the world, they, through their reporting, really elucidate not just 
what different cultures and countries eat, but also why the people cook it that way and how the dish evolved to be that way. And oftentimes how it's still evolving. Um, and and I, I really appreciate that respect that Sever tries to give different cultures. I think as a publication, we really want to give the microphone and the platform to the local people who are sustaining these traditions. And we, as the journalists are sort of just the ones shining the light on it. Um, but yes. I really appreciate that about Sever. Yes. What are some of the most interesting or creative stories you've done? I'm not sure how creative it is necessarily, <laughs> but I wrote an essay for Rise and Dine um, a few months back about why in and out often ends up being breakfast for me, just tying it into the, <laughs> the breakfast theme because uh -huh. um, I grew up in California. And so I feel like I have this kind of nostalgic attachment to in and out. And I wrote an essay about how just over the course of my college years and early adulthood, in and out became more and more entrenched in my mind as this symbol of home. So that uh -huh. was a really fun one to write. Recently, I also wrote about a new wine shop in Manhattan that's built around this really strong ethos of inclusivity and accessibility. And mm -hmm. that translates into the diversity of the inventory, the, the makers behind the inventory, and also the physical accessibility of the brick and mortar shop, which is in Midtown Manhattan. And I just thought it was so interesting how the shop is really trying to raise the standard for what inclusivity can and should mean in the hospitality space, specifically yeah. in wine. And it was a, a real privilege to be able to report on that one. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I love that. I'll have to read that. Anything you've learned that you've taken back to your personal kitchen? Oh, definitely. So many things. I think lately, something I've been thinking about a lot is how a lot of the chefs I've interviewed lately, they really encourage and adopt this mentality of cooking food that reflects all the different sides of you. Mm -hmm. I wrote about this new Yoshoku restaurant in New York City recently. So Yoshoku refers to a Western-influenced category of Japanese cuisine. And the mm -hmm. chef behind it, he is half Ukrainian, half Taiwanese, and his grandmother is Japanese, and he lives in New York now. <laughs> so he created this bacon, egg, and cheese okonomiyaki dish, which I thought was so fun. And he really sees the dish as something that honors and celebrates just how multifaceted his cultural background and his family are, which I I really enjoyed um, making the the dish based on his recipe and and writing about it. Another person that comes to mind is Frankie Gaw. He's a cookbook author who recently released a, his debut book called First Generation, which is just a beautiful, beautiful volume. And he filled it with recipes like rice cake, Bolognese, uh, which reflects his huh. Taiwanese heritage, but also his upbringing in the Midwest being inspired by Marcella Hazan. And um, really? I, yeah, just totally unexpected, but just a really, a really creative recipe. And I think if we've been lucky enough to have had beautiful and varied cultural influences in our lives that inspire yeah. us to create new things, and that should be embraced and expressed in the kitchen. And so that's something I've been thinking about a lot and uh, definitely a, a mentality I'm trying to embody a little bit more. Yes. It takes it to a whole nother level when you know the history and what's going into the food, you know, the culture and the love and, and all of that mm. to bring it together. It, it puts a whole nother like, level into, you know, enjoying a meal. 
Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and food is constantly evolving and changing alongside the people who are making it. And I think yeah. that's one of the things about food that just is like endlessly fascinating to me, just how it shifts, you know, and, and evolves over time. You're also a contributing journalist for many other top tier outlets. Who are you currently writing for? I recently contributed a feature to The Cut. It was about the potential for psychedelic therapy, particularly psilocybin or magic mushrooms to help treat eating disorders. And Mm -hmm. this is an area of research that's definitely still really nascent in very early stages, but it means a lot to me and really captured my interest. And I wanted to explore it further. And I wound up meeting uh, a young teenager who had found a lot of healing through psilocybin um, to help her eating disorder. So I ended up telling that story uh, through her lens. And it was just really, really fascinating to dive into that emerging area of research. Um, I'm also in the midst of working on a couple of stories for BBC Travel. The editors there are always just so, so lovely to work with. I always learn so much from them. And I'm a really, really a big fan of the stories they produce. I think they just really transport you to different parts of the world and educate you on on so many unexpected aspects of the intersection of food and culture. So I I really love BBC Travel and read them constantly. You're so fascinating to listen to the, (laughs) the stories. I mean... The way the angles from the culinary aspect are just are just fascinating and and makes me want to jump in and start reading all of them. <laughs> so oh, I have to ask you. before we go, uh-huh. I'd love to know what is your favorite food or types of food and any advice you like to give when it comes to culinary traditions or experiences. Mm. I would say that a theme that seems to emerge in my favorite dishes is that they're really saucy. I really like saucy oh. dishes. So any stew or braise or curry is definitely up my alley. I think my most recent favorite might be a dish called mafe, which is a peanut based stew that is uh, commonly made in Senegal. And I mm-hmm. enjoyed that dish so much when I was traveling there recently. And then I found a recipe from the chef Pierre Chem and uh, I tried recreating it uh, in, in my own kitchen. And I think it came out. Okay. Uh, I'll let Pierre <laughs> be the judge, but it was just, it was so, so delicious. So I'm, that's definitely something I'm going to be adding to my like regular rotation. I also really appreciate desserts. I, I definitely have a sweet tooth and I love a good fudgy cake. I think I tend to gravitate more toward like the, the decadent desserts than uh-huh. the fluffy or, or airy things. Um, although there's <laughs> definitely a place for that too. And I have appreciation for those as well. Right. Yeah. I would say when it comes to culinary experiences, I would just say to, to try everything, you know, be curious about the food traditions of cultures you might not be familiar with and know that it's okay to ask questions and to want to learn. Food is just super approachable and accessible. And I think it's a really great way to get to know different cultures a little bit better. And it's meant to be shared and meant to be enjoyed and talked about. So just anywhere you travel or any restaurant you might go to, just go in with a really open mind and and hopefully a curious palate. That is excellent advice. How can (laughs) listeners connect with you online? I'm in all the usual places, mostly Instagram and and LinkedIn, but uh, I dabble in Twitter and Facebook as well. And I try to keep my online portfolio up to date. So any of those places, I'd, I'd love to connect with people. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Megan. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me, Angelo. So nice to talk to you. That's all for this episode of Media and Minutes, a podcast by Communications Redefined. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find more at communicationsredefined.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Angela Toole. Talk to you next time. Bye.